A number of years ago, my wife gave me a little gift. It's a pretty little record book. And what she did is she wrote with her fine skill of calligraphy a number of my favorite poems. Now, I know, Ricky, you would not think that I like poetry. But I do. I like poetry. And there's a number of poems that she inserted and included in here that I especially like. Kind of my favorites. For example, Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, that's a beautiful poem. I like Edgar Allan Poe. I know, I know he's kind of scary sometimes, and I know he's kind of dark and gloomy. But I loved it. I remember as a high school kid, I read his complete works and enjoyed his writing. Or how about John Milton's poem, On His Blindness? Milton was a great writer, and he was slowly going blind, and he wrote a poem describing his thoughts as he contemplated his blindness. Great poem. I asked Diane to include one in here that she wrote. She wrote one on rain, walking through her campus, her senior year of college, walking in the rain. I enjoy reading that. kind of gives me a clue as, as before I met her. So it gives me a little bit of a clue as to what was going on in her mind and her thoughts. Another one I enjoy is by Robert Frost, Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening. That's a great one. I enjoy it. It's so, so beautifully pictured. You can just see it, can't you? Him and his horse in the wagon beside the woods in the snow. Another one I like is Thanon Thompson's by William Cullen Bryant. Poem about death and how to die. Another one by Frost, The Road Not Taken. That describes me. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by. That's made all the difference. I love that poem. Very descriptive. I want to make mention specifically of a poem that she included in here that I asked her to write by a man named William Cowper. William Cowper was a devout believer. But he came to faith in a strange way. He suffered frequent bouts of insanity and terrible depression. And he was jilted by a lover, a woman that he loved who did not requite his love. And after one of his many attempts at suicide, he found himself by a church. And he heard them singing. And he went into the church and became a believer. Thereafter, he wrote many hymns describing his walk with the Lord. Some of them in the midst of his doubt and gloom and despair, expressed not only his concerns, but also his underlying faith in God. That's one of them I want to share with you this morning. Real short, it's only one page. 
I'm not a great poetry reader, but hopefully you can get the picture. It's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. We don't typically think of God that way, do we? But he does. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Boy, we're tempted, aren't we? The thunderstorms of life come and we're tempted to question God and doubt Him and question His love. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I have found those words so true in my life as I have gone through the vicissitudes of life, the doubts and the fears and the questions that I've had as events have unfolded in a way differently than I anticipated or had planned and hoped. God has a way of weaving those things that we question and doubt, the thunderstorms of life, He has a way of weaving them for good for those who love him, he said. And God interprets them in time. I have found that true in my life. And those words describe the children of Israel. Because God had made promises to them. When he created the earth and planted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he created them righteous, upright, without sin. And for some time they lived and walked and fellowshiped with God's presence in the garden without sin. Then one terrible day, they rebelled. And they rejected God's authority in their lives. And they chose to follow and yield to the temptation of a creature instead of the Creator. God in his grace and mercy made a promise to them. He said, I will send the seed of a woman who will come, who will crush that serpent and defeat him. Thus giving hope to Adam's race that someone would come who would provide victory over the intrusion of evil into life. He gave some examples of it along the way. Enoch walked with God, was a righteous man. Noah was a righteous man before God as well. And then came Abraham. And God selected Abraham and he chose him to be the vehicle and his lineage to provide the means by which he would send this champion who would come and crush the evil one. But again, many years came and went. Nothing seemingly happening. In fact, they found themselves as slaves in Egypt, 
400 years. They suffered in slavery under the cruel hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt. Where's God? No mention of God. No mention at all of their even calling upon God. Dark days indeed. Ah, but as the poet said, behind a frowning providence, there's a smiling face. God had good designs for the children of Israel. And we have studied and read how God brought them out of Egypt. That great exodus when he delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians and set them on their journey towards the promised land that he had promised centuries previously to Abraham and his offspring. And we looked at how God had redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt and how it pictures for us and describes for us the redemption that God has provided and made available for people just like you and just like me. For it all began with a sacrifice. Passover. And the sacrifice lamb who stood as a substitute on behalf of the firstborn in the home. And all within the home found safety when the death angel passed over and took the lives of the firstborn of every creature and the firstborn of every human offspring in every home that did not have the blood on the door. The substitute. Picture Jesus Christ, the coming substitute, whom Scripture described later as the Passover lamb. And it came and brought deliverance to them from slavery. And the redemption that is provided in Christ, the Passover lamb, delivers us from the slavery of sin, a far greater, a far greater problem than mere human slavery. And he did it by his grace. By his own power he brought them out. They came somewhat reluctantly. They weren't quite sure about God. They hadn't worshipped him for many years. And then when God came and appeared to them through Moses, they had some doubts and some questions. But Moses, strong in faith, said, Follow me, we'll go. God is with us. And they left. God brought them out. And it tells us in the scriptures we read just a few moments ago, it says he redeemed them and reconciled them to himself. What a beautiful picture of what God provides for people like you and me. How he longs to gather us under his arms like a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings. Find that God has provided a picture for us to see his redemption that he has provided in Jesus his son for people like you and me. And we read a few moments ago that that, per, that that redemption had a purpose to it. I will make you a favored nation, he said. A nation above all peoples. You will be the top of the class. All the nations of the world will look to you. And he did it because he loved them. Not anything inherently beautiful or desirable in those people, but he had a heart of love towards them. And he said, I want to make you a holy nation. And that was all he said. 
in our modern day, if we watched it on television, we would see at the bottom of it to be continued. And we'd know that there's another, another chapter coming, and perhaps several more chapters coming. He didn't say that to them. But we know in retrospect, because we have the completed revelation of God, we know there were more chapters to come. God had said, if you will obey me, I will make of you a great nation and you will become a holy people. But he didn't tell them what they had to obey. He just said, obey me. They made the promise, we will obey you. Chapter 20 in the book of Exodus begins a change. God begins to reveal more clearly and more extensively in a more detailed fashion His plan and purpose for them and how they would accomplish the plan and the covenant that He had made with them. You will be a favored nation. I will bless all of the nations of the earth through you. You will become a holy people. How did God intend to do that? Starting in chapter 20 of Exodus, God begins to reveal in more detailed fashion how he would do that. In Exodus chapter 20, we have revealed to us the Ten Commandments. Uh, We know the Ten Commandments, don't we? And we can name all ten of them, can't we? Can't we? I'm not so sure we can. But we know there are ten of them. And God gave that moral law to his children and said, I expect you to obey these Ten Commandments. They're my moral law. They're my demands upon you. I command you to obey them. And we so often look at the outward aspect of the law. And we have a tendency to declare ourselves righteous because I have never killed anybody. I've never taken anybody's life. I've never stolen. I've never taken another man's wife or husband. I have not committed fornication. I have not coveted my neighbor's goods. And we have this temptation to kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, See, I've obeyed the law. The fulfilling of the law required a response from the heart. Not just merely the outward refraining from certain acts. For I would venture to guess that every one of us are in fact guilty of mass murder according to the heart. Anger cursing of others, damning them. It's the heart that God wants to make pure. For it's out of the heart that proceed murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. It comes from the heart. And we see that by the design of the Ten Commandments. For they require a heart change. After God gave them the Ten Commandments, he then spent a couple of chapters, Exodus 21, 22, and 23, 
in which he began to describe for them how to apply the Ten Commandments in daily life and how to respond to the various circumstances that they would face in life and the people like you and I would face in our everyday lives and how to apply the Ten Commandments in everyday life. He included along with that then the judgments that should come for failing to follow and apply God's moral law in their everyday activities. And then following that, starting in chapter number 24 of Exodus, through the whole book of Leviticus, God provides a description, a detailed description, of how his people could obtain atonement for their sin. Because he knew they would sin. He knew they would violate his law. He knew they would not fulfill it completely. They would need some means by which they could find forgiveness and find some kind of reconciliation back to God on behalf of themselves and for their sin. And so he provided a whole structure of offerings, sacrifices, and a temple called a tabernacle originally by which people could come to God and offer sacrifices on behalf of their sin and their failure to obey his law and find forgiveness. In the midst of it, there was a description of the tabernacle, several chapters just describing the tabernacle itself. And God going into great detail in explaining the tabernacle because it was at the tabernacle where they would come to make their sacrifices and their offerings. It was also the place where God would once again bring his presence to reside among his people. And there was one part of the tabernacle where he would reside. In a future study we'll look in more detail at the tabernacle. I only mention it briefly today to let you know that God's design and purposes that he had way back when he created all things and spoke them into existence, he is in the process of restoring once again. He has made provision by which he would now again bring his residence down and his presence among people. People like you and like me. As we study and examine the history of Israel, we find it an up and down history. There were periods in their history when they worshipped and followed God. And there were periods of history when they rejected God and rebelled against Him. Finally, during the era of Ezekiel the prophet, God had had enough. And He left. He left. No more presence. And in fact, the next 400 years of their history, again, no prophets. No one speaking and calling them to follow after God. No seeking after God. At the end of the 400 years, Jesus came. But God had made promises to his people. And he had said to them, if you will obey me, and become a holy people, 
I will make my presence known to you and I will be in the midst of you. I want you to see how clearly God described that to his children. It's found in Leviticus chapter 26 if you, if you want to look it up. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible starting from the beginning. Leviticus chapter 26 and God is reaffirming to his children what he had taken many chapters to describe to them his demands in the midst of his demands near the conclusion of it he says alright now here's the summary of it all you're to worship me with all your heart soul, strength and mind if you will do that I will bless you If you fail to worship me, I will punish you. If you repent, I'll forgive you. Near the end of the section in which he describes how he will bless them, I want to read for you a a couple of verses that describe what God wanted to do if they would just obey him. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. God had made all the provision. He had designed it. He had prepared it. He had made a way for them to experience God's presence. Have you ever had a time in your life, maybe even recently, When in the midst of some doubt, some confusion, some difficulty, you said within your mind, I wish I could sit down and talk with God. I have. Many times. Boy, I wish he was sitting right in that chair, right there. You know what God did? He made it closer than that. That would be nice. That would be wonderful. That's what they experienced. That's what God said He would do for them. He would come down and He would walk among them. And He would be right there with them. And He designed the the tabernacle so that they could see His presence. He would appear in a cloud of fire by night. And during the daytime it would just be a pillar of cloud. And that was God. And they could see Him. Do you know what God did? He made it better than that. He made it possible so that you could have God's presence right in there. You wouldn't have to go to a special place. You wouldn't have to be in a special circumstance. You wouldn't have to go to a tabernacle that might take some time and distance for you to get there. You wouldn't have to take any animals with you to sacrifice. God made all that provision in Jesus, His Son. He became the champion that God had promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. And had revealed by pictures to the children of Israel over hundreds of years. He finally came. And we read in John chapter 1, it says, And the Word 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with, with God. And anything that was made was not made without Him. And then we read on down a little further in that chapter. We come to verse number 14. It says, And the Word became flesh. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. God tabernacling, making His presence known in the flesh. Once again, creating God in man, His image. Perfect this time. God's presence. In a man, Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled all of the sacrifices that the book of Leviticus takes 27 chapters to describe and explain. And there are some chapters in the book of Exodus describing the tabernacle. That's Jesus. And he came down and lived among us. And he lived a sinless life, thus fulfilling God's requirement that he made in Exodus chapter 19. If you will obey me, you will become a holy people. Jesus did that. Then he became the sacrifice as part of the sacrifices that God designed for them to use year after year for their repentance and forgiveness of their sin Jesus fulfilled every one of them and he became the ultimate sacrifice so that by our personal faith and trust in Christ we would now have once and for all not many times not frequently not having to go to the tabernacle many times to offer a sacrifice one time Jesus fulfilled it. And we, by faith and trust in Him as a substitute on our behalf, we can find redemption and forgiveness of sin. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and indwell us. God's presence within us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom the Father gives to those who love Him. God's presence in the flesh, not among us, in us. Oh, but then He also is among us as well. But we can have His presence within us as individuals, as people. There's one last final piece that has to occur. And that's the consummation. It didn't happen last Saturday. Nor will it happen October 21st. Which is his newest prediction. Because if God didn't tell Jesus when he was coming, what makes him think God is going to tell him? Because he didn't tell Jesus. They asked him, when is it? He said, I don't know. I don't know when it is. The only one who knows is the Father. He has reserved it to himself and it's in his hand when he will do it. But there is coming a day. It will come. Perhaps even before the 21st. 
of October. I don't know. But I can assure you that God has promised a day in which he will culminate it all together. It will all be done. All of his purpose and plan that he designed, it will have reached to all of the earth. And there will come a day when all of those who know and trust Christ will reside with him in a new city upon new heavens and new earth. This earth will undergo destruction. It will cease to exist. God will make a new heaven, a new earth, a new city. Where we who have come to faith and trust in Christ will reside with Him forever. His presence forever. Never to lose it. Always to experience it throughout eternity. God's made a wonderful design and plan for people like you and like me. Are you a part of it? Have you trusted the provision that God made for people like you and like me? I think some of you have. I don't know all of you. I'll be honest. I love you. I pray for you. But I can't see inside of you. I can't see in your heart and your mind and know what really has transpired in there. That's why I ask you. Life is short. Are you ready? Do you know the Savior? Have you trusted Him? I pray that the Spirit of God today will take these truths from His Word and open your eyes to see them, to understand them, to see how it all fits together and to know that God has made provision for someone like you. And that today would be the day that you would turn from your self-reliance Turn from your self-righteousness that would say, I've never committed murder, but in your heart you have. And your violation of his moral law in all of its ways. And turn aside from your self-effort and trust exclusively his provision, Jesus, the substitute and Savior for sinners like you and like me. I pray the Spirit of God will bring that to fruition in your life today. Let's close our time together in prayer.